2: Welcome to Talk is Jericho, it's the pot of thunder and rock and roll, home of the much anticipated, highly
1: decorated, Duff McKagan Joke of the week. Chris Jericho, Duff McKagan calling you. Listen, uh, I'm in Sacramento about to play the old uh, Aftershock Festival up here. We played the, the desert trip, the power trip, Friday night uh, in, uh, you know, Palm desert, whatever that is, India. Um, anyhow, you know, I'm out here rocking around, hoping you're doing well, and everybody out there is doing well. You know, uh, you know what you call the, uh, 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 the hippie's wife? Mississippi, Mississippi, hippie's wife. Thank you, goodbye. That has to be one of the all-time worst
2: Duff jokes I've ever heard. But what's not the worst is Duff's new solo record, Lighthouse, which comes out October 20th. You can get it at DuffOnline.com, and hopefully we'll have Duff on to discuss. Uh, Duff's playing with Guns N' Roses right now, and of course Fozzie getting ready to play on Chattanooga, October 19th. This Thursday, we start the Spotlight on America tour, and Spotlight, our new single, will be out on October 19th as well. So lots to celebrate there as we get ready to rock with you all again. All right, it's Friday the 13th, so how about some ghosts and haunting stories from an investigative team based in Wilmington, Delaware. They are the Phantom Detectives. I got founder and director Josh, investigator and tech manager Rick, and psychic medium Melissa. They've done some interesting and creepy investigations. have had all sorts of experiences from hearing voices to encountering apparitions and even having objects moved and even feeling physical effects on their own bodies. They've captured some amazing EVPs and video footage, which you can check out for yourself at phantomdetectives.org. All right, so today, Melissa, Rick, and Josh are gonna walk us through some of their most active investigations, including lightship Overfalls, which is an actual haunted ship, an old speakeasy built in the 1850s called Boobs Brewery in Mount Joy, Pennsylvania, and the Haunted Sanderson Museum in Chadds Ford, Pennsylvania. They'll share the backstories of each and delve into their paranormal findings at each location. So here we go, it's the Phantom Detectives on Talk is Jericho, starting now. All right, so um, another crew of ghost hunters and paranormal researchers The Phantom Detectives are here today with us on Talk is Jericho. And before we even get started, I wanna know, how did you come up with such a cool name as the Phantom Detectives and what exactly, I'm coming into this completely clean, explain to us who the Phantom Detectives are and what exactly it is that you do.
3: Uh, Joshua here. I originally got my start in the supernatural watching Unsolved Mysteries, the late great Robert Stack, and of course Leonard Nimoy in search of. Which like everybody that was watching things at that time so of course i originally started listening a lot with coast to coast am with art bell which i'm sure you know everyone loves art too chris And uh started in august of 2020 and pulled in uh, rick warner from ufo world he brings in a lot of skills as a certified mufon field investigator and i brought in melissa from the holzer files
2: okay the holzer files that holzer files of course dave Schrader, uh a long time collaborator here on Talk is Jericho. So, Melissa, how did you get involved with that?
4: So, as a psychic medium, I've always had abilities ever since I was a very young child. So, as I've in my adult years, I embraced these abilities. And it kind of goes without saying that I was always fascinated with watching paranormal shows, various ones throughout the years. I watched uh, The Ghost Hunters uh, since the very beginning when they started and all the various ones. And what always fascinated me was the psychic mediums that were on the shows, going into these locations and seeing what they tune into and seeing if if what they were picking up on is accurate according to the history and all the reported haunts of the locations. So I would find myself watching these shows and doing the same thing, seeing if what I'm tuning into... Was accurate as well, and what was funny was a lot of times me and the mediums would pick up on the exact same thing. Sometimes I would watch these shows and say, "I'm picking up on a gentleman in this location," and then the medium on the show would say, "I'm tuning into a man. There's a man here. He's very prominent." Uh, A lot of these mediums were the are the ones that we know of: Cindy Cas,a Chip Coffee. They're my favorites. I I just you know love them and. I wound up actually studying under Cindy Kaza. So I'm I'm one of her students and Joshua contacted me. He found out that I'm a student of Cindy's and asked me to join the team. And that's exactly what I do during our investigations. I go into these locations blindly without any prior knowledge of the history. And I see if what I tune into is accurate. So that's my role on the team. I'm Phantom Detective.
2: So you're a, a medium then, Melissa. Yeah. Why don't you explain kind of what exactly that is? And when did you kind of realize that you had these, I guess, special powers, shall we say?
4: So I had abilities, as I, as I'd said, as a very young child. It wasn't exactly, um, <laughs> I didn't embrace them. Uh, if, if anything, as a very young child, I found them frightening, but as I grew into my adult years, I accepted that they are a part of me. And so basically, mediumship is when you're tuning into uh, spirits, those who have crossed over. Basically, what I did was I wanted to learn exactly what was going on. When I decided to embrace these abilities and get with mentors such as Cindy Kesa, you learn about the mechanics, you learn about how exactly you are receiving information. So the best way I can describe it is we have internal senses just as we have external senses. So you're working with these internal senses. Many of us have heard the term uh, clairvoyant. Sometimes people use that term to describe those who are psychic, like it's a catch-all phrase. But clairvoyance is actually only one of our abilities, and it's our ability to see. There's also something called clairaudience, which is our ability to internally hear spirits and um, clairsentience, which is, it's your gut feeling. We always hear that phrase, trust your gut. So basically, you're using all of these internal senses in order to receive information from these spirits. So that's how I describe to people how this works. You know, that's what mediumship is. You're using all of those internal senses in order to receive information from spirits. You know, they'll show me what they look like. I can pick up on how a person passed away and any messages that they want to give me. And a lot of times the messages are in the evidence. So going into these locations, I use those um, senses, if you will, to see what spirits have to say and again, to find out if it's accurate, the biggest thing I do is go in there blindly, because if I know any history about the location, then that will, it's biased, it taints the investigation. So that's what I do. And that's probably the best way I could describe how this works, working as a psychic medium.
2: So Rick, you're you're the lead investigator, and you've got quite a varied experience too, not just with, with- the paranormal and ghosts and that sort of thing, but also a lot of UFO extraterrestrial uh, experience as well.
5: Yeah, I'm also the executive director for ERC, which stands for Extraterrestrial Research Center. I'm also the director of investigations. And then I have the director of research that works with me as well. I came out of MUFON, which stands for Mutual UFO Network, as a trained certified field investigator and took a lot of extensive training, probably earned nine different certificates and types of astronomy and and pretty much everything about different types of way to investigate cases and interview clients and things like that so it was very very educational so so I got my training there but I've always enjoyed investigating i just like I just love to investigate so anything paranormal if it's extraterrestrial based or if it's you know going to a haunted location like home or business things like that i really enjoy doing because it's an opportunity of me to not only investigate and i also like conducting interviews with clients as well so
2: what led you to be so interested in ufo activity
5: a lot of that came from when i was a kid you know i remember seeing an extraterrestrial vehicle, or at least that's what I believed that it was because this didn't look like a man-made object to me because the fact that it flew at an incredible speed. And I was in Southern California, and I remember I was by this one, what we call the freeway, a lot of people on the East Coast call highway. And my mom was with this friend of hers who was driving the car, and then all of a sudden, above the overpass, I see what looks like a kind of like a saucer-shaped vehicle that it just kind of like hovered. And then the thing just like in a blink of an eye, it just took off and it was gone. During that time, I mean, as a child, I mean, it's hard to talk to anybody about anything like that without them feeling like maybe you lost your marbles. Mm -hmm. I mean, there was a time when people would talk about traveling to the moon. And if you did that, people would just like brand you as just being absolutely nuts. And then lo and behold, you know, look what happened and look at where we are now in right. space travel. And right, exactly. Technology. So, yeah, you know, it, it was kind of like a weird experience that, that had happened. But, you know, when I got, got in as a UFO investigator, now the, you know, the government and everything kind of changed that to UAP. Mm-hmm. So instead of saying unidentified flying object, they want to get away from anything that has the words like flying in it. So it's easier to say unidentified aerial phenomenon which takes them a little bit off the hook. But about eighty to eighty-five percent of what's seen as anything extraterrestrial can be explained as a man-made object, a natural phenomenon, or something astronomical in nature, planet, a star, things like that. But when you leave the fifteen to twenty percent, that is a lot of stuff that can't be explained. So if somebody has good video and photographic evidence and things like that. And it can't be explained as a weather phenomenon or a man-made object. You have definitely something compelling here. So, you know, it's a little different when you're um, dealing with spirits coming into home, things like that. I remember the first time that I got invited to join Joshua, which was at the Betsy Ross house in in, uh, Philadelphia. I kept thinking like, well, you know what? It sounds like fun. You know, I'll try it and see how I like it. But I think because like a lot of stuff I've seen on TV, I'm thinking like, well, I hope something doesn't slap me on the back or try to push me down the stairs or do whatever. And I thought, you know, it sounded a little scary at first because, I, you know, it was like the unexpected. I didn't really know what to expect. But the more I did it, the more comfortable I felt. And I realized, you know what, man? I mean, we're talking to dead people. I mean, spirits. Yeah. But. What we're reaching out to and what we're communicating with the spirit realm, things like that. So some people feel like a little bit scared about doing that. But truth of the matter is, for us, we haven't had any like any experiences that I could say where any of us were in any kind of harm, any danger. But you know, sometimes you know you run into some things that are a little scary where somebody might need a home cleansing or something like that. But for the most part, most investigations we've been on. Um, we've had very good experiences. The spirits seem very accepting and willing to have us there as guests, their guests, a- asking questions. And we use a lot of extensive equipment, you know, to sure arrive at an intelligent conclusion about the case.
1: Do you want a beautiful lawn?
2: did you have a list of places that you guys wanted to visit or did you how do you decide where you're going to go to, to find some of these interesting stories that you've that you've discussed and found and explored
4: i think we mostly just explore places in our area i guess this can go with any area we look at where there are um historical locations a lot of um museums mansions so we just basically reach out and contact them And they've always been very welcoming as far as allowing us to come in there and investigate. Sometimes the way we give back is we will do a lecture at the local libraries in that area and talk about our findings and the people love it. But a lot of times it's just a matter of seeing, you know, what historic locations are in our area and reaching out to them. They very much welcome us coming in and seeing what we find. Uh, we've always had a very pleasant experience in those places because many of times it, it's just, it, it comes down to it was somebody's home. It's always a very welcoming vibe. So I will honestly say that the ones that were... Difficult, if you will, the ones that left us maybe with um, feeling uneasy are actually residential homes. They seem to be now not every single one, of course, but if we've ever had any kind of negative experience, it has been in a residential home uh, where the homeowners have really had some negative experiences that they, you know, have wanted us to come in and investigate. So it's just a matter of contacting, like I said, museums, mansions, that sort of thing in our area. And we've always had a lot of luck as far as uh, being allowed to investigate these places.
5: And you know what? I wouldn't even call it like all luck because, you know, if I really think about like what, you know, makes us so successful as a team, um, there are paranormal investigators that come up empty handed. It comes, happens all the time. Sure. Sure. And the reason why we're so successful, a lot of it is our mindset. It's like how we come into an investigation. Well, first of all, even though several people may have bought that house, any spirits that are in there, we respect them as they're living there. They own the house. It's their place. We don't come in like being bossy. We don't try to challenge spirits in a way or Use any threatening manner would be like, you better answer our question or else, or talk to us. We don't do that. But rather, what we do is come in with the attitude that it's your home. We're guests here, not them. We look at the spirit world that we're um, fortunate enough that they're allowing us to communicate with them, but we're also very polite. And when we do get answers from uh, the spirit realm, we always thank them for any answers that are given to us if it's turning on a device or some type of other some other type of activity we thank them very much thank you for um, allowing us to conduct this investigation and work with us and answer with us and that really helps us a lot you know if you go in like nasty and bossy just like when people are alive you know nobody's going to want to do anything with you but if you're friendly and you're polite people are more likely to want to work with you same thing dealing with spirits and
2: stuff well, let's talk about some of your highlights that you that you guys have had i want to hear about the lightship overfalls because it's not just a typical haunted house it's actually activity on an actual ship so kind of go through that and tell us what happened there
3: the lightship overfalls is a very historical place it was a part of the u.s Coast guard it was built in 1938 up in massachusetts and Decommissioned in '72. What's really cool about this ship, you know, that I think it was also uh, it's been in Lewis for over 50 years down in Delaware. So I reached out to the Lightship Overfalls Foundation in August of 2022 to see if we would be able to do an investigation there, because only one paranormal team did a investigation there back in 2011, 2012. That team, unfortunately, didn't pick up a lot of evidence. But I said, you know what? Why don't we try to bring there and see if we can capture any kind of evidence at this light ship? So when we went ahead and we rescheduled and we uh, I did a lecture in October 2022 in front of a whole entire board. And then after we booked the investigation, November of 2022, the place was very, very active uh, from the minute that we entered it. Um, we actually were featuring the local news down in Lewis, Delaware, for the Cape Gazette. So what was amazing was the minute that we walked in that light ship, we definitely felt it was right on the water. And water is a perfect conduit for paranormal activity. So what we did was we set up our equipment in different areas, and then we started doing the investigation. And one of the highlights that I remember, we were doing an EVP session in the cruise quarters, which is the left side of the ship. And we, I asked a question, and all of a sudden I heard this woman's voice say, hello, help me. And that was just one of the many highlights that we have. I have no reasonable explanation. And I define that as a class A EVP because it's a clear, intelligent response. Someone uh, going through in the voice recorder saying, help me, help me. And Melissa, you could definitely feel the presence of this woman on the ship as well, didn't you?
4: Yes, Uh, that was interesting. So I felt the captain was pretty significant, but I thought I, I kept tuning into a woman and she was very prominent and she was walking around and walking around. So again, to capture her voice later on, that helps uh, verify what I'm tuning into. So that was, uh, like Joshua said, an amazing piece of evidence, because it was clear as day. And this isn't something that we audibly heard, you know, this was something captured on our EVP much later. So it, it was absolutely mind blowing. And I'm so quick to try to, um, Debunk. I really want to know that what we are picking up on is absolutely accurate. It cannot be anything else. So, we were the only ones on that ship. Obviously, you know, no other women, nobody could have said, Hello, help me. I mean, there was just no log- logical explanation other than it being paranormal. Plus, the woman's dialect, her tone, um, it certainly was not me. I cannot speak that way if I tried. So, that was probably, uh, in my opinion, the most amazing piece of evidence we've ever captured.
5: Hmm. Well, the other thing, too, is we had not only that, but we had a lot of other activity going off. It wasn't even just the EVP session. You know, we did dowsing rod session that we were asking questions that were very active. We also had some REM pod devices. We also had some high EMF readings that were going off on the emf meters and we were going over like 2,000 milligauss, which is really really high on the scale because most of the time going into home or business you're going to get low readings you're going to get like you know the wider green lights which is low electromagnetic fields but if you have an electrical device plugged in and you hold it to that if it's a laptop or microwave then it's normal to get some kind of reading and, it, and you would have a high reading if you're leaking a lot of emf fields and that kind of thing so the devices were where we were in the places there was no electrical outlets that were working where we were so we were getting very high emf readings um we also had a one of the devices we had which was a rem pod which is it's actually a replica of an annabelle doll that was sitting inside like a little plastic case and it looks like the Annabelle not the original Annabelle but the Annabelle from the movie right if we touch it with our hand or move our hand close it'll set it off but when we're far away and the thing's going off by itself there's something paranormal going on there some spirit activity setting it off and it was just going off like crazy so we had all kinds of things going you know we heard a lady's voice outside on outside the ship I should mention when we were inside one of the quarters and you can hear like some, there was some banging noises that we heard outside the ship as well. So we had a, like a lot of really compelling evidence. And it, the idea of just doing a investigation on a ship like that was really kind of a lot of fun because we, we filmed the outside of the ship as well and got a lot of beautiful video footage, giving a tour of the outside of the ship and all that kind of stuff. And they really did a lot of beautiful preserving on the ship. So it was just really cool to be a part of that.
2: When you go into this this ship, for example, Melissa, like, what do you feel? like? Are you feeling kind of like a presence? Is it a a foreboding thing? Is it an energy? Is it a a nervousness?
4: Yes, all of the above. And I, I really feel that it depends on the spirit and how their demeanor is. If they are welcoming us into these locations or if they're giving off this energy this vibe that hey you're invading my home. So it's it's almost like if you encountered a living person and if they would welcome you into their home, are they going to welcome you with open arms or are they going to like I said say hey, you know, you're um you're invading invading my space here. Who are you and what do you want? So as Rick mentioned, The best thing that we can do is come in there respectfully, honoring that it is still their home. We're here to listen to you. What would you like to tell us? Do you have any messages? So that is um, how I wind up feeling comfortable, even if I come in there. And like I said, a spirit is making me feel a little um, off because they're making me feel like I'm invading their space. So me coming in there humbly and saying, hey, I'm here for you, it seems to really um, make the air feel lighter. But there have been times, like my very first investigation with the team was at a location called the Selma Mansion, which is in Norristown, Pennsylvania. I remember opening the door of this mansion and feeling like I was hit like a tidal wave of energy. I was like, whoa. So I literally shut the door and had to go outside and ground myself, like get myself together so I could go back in and say, okay, I needed to catch my breath. Let me start over. So uh, what I believe what it comes down to, it, it just comes down to the location and the spirit. Because again, to me, there's still people. It's, it's the same whether they're here or whether they're gone. And if they're going to welcome you into their home. So that's usually how it is for me when I enter these locations.
1: Do you want a beautiful lawn?
2: Let's talk about uh, something else that you wanted to discuss about Bubes Brewery. Where is this at?
3: Yes, this is in Mount Joy, Pennsylvania. Uh, Bubes Brewery is a really old speakeasy that dates back to the 1850s. It was built by a guy named Philip Frank, who was amazing. With Melissa had no idea. Like, we booked this investigation in May of 2022 through our friends from Paranormal. Melissa and Jerry Keller. Uh, so when we booked the investigation there, uh, Melissa was actually picking up on the, the founder. Like she was doing She had no knowledge. She said, Frank, Frank, during the part of the investigation. And this old speaking actually is in Mount Joy, right on about an hour west of Philadelphia, right near the York County, Lancaster County border. And pretty amazing about this place is we actually captured a lot of evidence night that we were there. And the name of the guy, actually, what happened was Alois Booby, actually, who was uh, German, actually bought the actual brewery from Philip Frank. And then, of course, he had it expanded. And then, you know, his daughters, Annie and actually, of course, were running it. So it's a pretty amazing place. It dates back to the 1850s, 1870s. And, of course, there was a fire there in 1893. You know, several people perished in that fire. When we did the investigation there, it was pretty amazing. We started our investigation in the ballroom area. And we were using a thermal camera. Mm. And what was amazing was in the corner of this room, it was like, point here, point here. And all of a sudden, I aimed the thermal image camera, which picks up hot and cold signatures. And one of the pictures, we actually picked up a silhouette of three apparitions with tank tops. You remember? you remember that pretty well, Rick? Yeah, I do. As a matter
5: of fact, as you're looking from left to right, there's two guys that are pretty prominent. And I remember when I got the thermal image from Joshua, I enhanced it a little bit not photoshopped it that's different when i say enhanced it i increase the contrast and try to remove a little bit of noise to make it the image a little bit more sharp now it looked to me like the farthest image on the right the third guy is a little bit kind of cut off but you could clearly see the first two guys from left to right and i'm going to say they look like they would be guys to me anyway it didn't look like they were females But the tank tops they were wearing during that time period, I'm guessing, was either the one-piece bathing suits that men would wear to, like, go in in the ocean or it was, like, what they would wear in a gym. It's, like, a one-piece weightlifter's outfit. You're
2: talking, like, for, like, the 1920s or whatever it may be, Yeah, yeah,
5: it looked like that, like, that whole one-piece suit. Like, either they were doing it for some kind of like, you know, barbell lifting or something, or maybe it was just, there were bathing suits that they were wearing, you know? So that's the only time I've really seen them, but it was very compelling image because um when Joshua took that thermal image, which uses infrared spectrum, which cannot be seen by our eyes, and what it does is it enhances what can pick up hotter cold temperatures, And also it's an opportunity for spirits to manifest themselves in these images. And so what Joshua picked up was really pretty cool because you see these two guys standing in there. Sometimes, you know, we'll get like really cold readings where it shouldn't be really cold. Or we could get really hot readings when it shouldn't be really hot. You know, it just kind of varies. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's nice to capture stuff like that. Now, Joshua aimed it at a couple guys that had tank tops we could say okay well it was those guys but that wasn't the case at all because he hadn't aimed that camera at either one of us so we know it wasn't us and he Mm -hmm. wasn't shooting the thermal camera at, at anybody else
2: what did you experience melissa in that brewery
4: so what's interesting is i know um throughout the years that building has been many things I believe at one point it was a brothel. I believe that that was one of the things. So a medium can come in there. I should say that different mediums could come into a location and maybe pick up uh, different things from different time periods. So what I experienced was in the hotel portion of the brewery, because there is a hotel attached to it where guests can stay, I saw a woman and it, it seems like you know the women really connect with me maybe because of being a woman. But I saw this woman. She was, um, a bit intimidating. Like she ruled the roost in this hotel area. And I saw her walking around, you know, and again, this is internally using my internal senses. I didn't physically see her, but I could sense her internally walking around. Like, um, she's, she's ruling the place. I mean, she was some kind of leader. And I come to find out that this woman was a madam. I did see her. And as Joshua mentioned, when we first entered the location, now this goes with every location, we have a place where we set up, we station our equipment. I walked in there and I said, I just ordered out the word Frank. And I'm not one to really tune into names. If if I pick up on a name, it's very, very strong. So to find out that the gentleman, I believe that was his last name, Frank, you know, had his hand in the location in the very beginning, that was pretty fascinating. I also picked up on a tragedy, and it was not the fire at the brewery, but I did pick up on a woman who unfortunately took her own life. So these are the different things that, you know, I may pick up when I go into these uh, locations. And what's interesting is the paranormal team that uh, usually gives tours there, as Joshua mentioned, Melissa and Jerry, that's their names. Melissa had said to me, uh, there was a tragedy here. What are you picking up on? So as I mentioned, it was not the fire. I said, there was a woman here who took her life. And she said, you're right. She says, that wasn't the tragedy that I was thinking of, but you did pick up on a second one. Again, each medium may come in there and tune into something differently. But that was my experience that evening, hmm. it's it's always fascinating. As Rick had mentioned, we always come home with something, some kind of piece of evidence, something significant about the place.
5: I remember the catacombs, you you guys, because I remember we went downstairs into the catacombs, which is very very cool. Especially, it looks really good on film, and with the colored LED lights we used, it was just very cool. But so you see these catacombs that it's like a cave that's like been carved out basically. And in the wall were these little cutouts, like little tiny shelves that they had these little candles that would put on. So it had that really like kind of creepy ambiance that was there. And they have like, I guess like parties and things like that, um, or wedding receptions and things in this area. Yeah, so looks have, like, It
4: looks like a creepy basement. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
5: The basement area. Yeah. With the tables. And what's really cool is that, we got a ton of paranormal activity there, and a lot of devices. And I remember Joshua brought his trip wire, which is think of like Christmas lights on a big long string, but instead of like little lights, there's just big old lights, right? Colored lights. Uh huh. And these things are huge. And so he had this big old trip wire that he extended out, and that thing was blinking off. In colors going off like crazy. And we were also told that some of the spirits that were in there were tend to be kind of like mischievous and playing games and stuff like that. And I remember my brand new digital recorder with brand new batteries and everything. You know, the thing was freezing up. I was having problems. And I'm like, what's going on here? And it got to a point where I could even turn it off. It was like frozen. I had to take the batteries out and put them back in. But I remember when I went upstairs, everything was working fine. And one of my devices that I couldn't find, I'm like, where the heck did I put it? And Melissa's always so good about helping me you know, set up devices and different things because we got a lot of equipment. I asked Melissa if she saw a device. Well, I think I got everything. And then I said, okay, well, I probably left it somewhere. So I go down looking for one of my paranormal devices and I'm like, where in the heck is this device? You know, And I'm talking to myself and all of a sudden the thing started going off by itself and it was sitting on top of a wooden barrel that I did not place it there. Melissa didn't place it there and all of a sudden it appeared there. It's almost like it had taken that device and moved it over there and now it's showing me here's your device, watch me blinking on and off. So that was like, whoa, and then I remember grabbing it, going upstairs and go, man, I go, that thing was telling me where it was. It was just nuts. I mean, hmm. we got like activity in the ballroom, activity in the bar. It was just a really fun place to investigate. Do you want a beautiful lawn?
2: So, so what is it like a place like like this brewery? Why do you think there's so much activity there? Was there, was there murders in the building? Was there, is it built on an Indian graveyard? Like what, what constitutes a venue like this to have so much activity?
3: I do know what the history with it, it's actually the catacomb area actually is hooked to the Underground Railroad. Uh. So I do believe that there was a lot of slaves going in and out of the tunnels down there back in the 1860s. So a lot of that is still very much trapped there. And then, of course, it was uh, also uh, built on top of from what I hear, like an Indian right around an Indian graveyard or a burial mound or something like that. I have to check the history with Melissa. But I do know there's a lot of the Underground Railroad and the Indian burial mound there that has a lot of history to it, you know. On
4: that end, yes, I believe that it, it, uh, a lot of emotion, you know, if there was a lot of heavy, heavy things, meaning um, significant, like a fire. Apparently, you know, there was a fire. You know, just a lot of people in and out. The place was used for various various things, and the energy imprints that it, it leaves behind. So, I find that if there's a lot of emotional stuff that happened that were significant, heartbreaking. I mean that seems to leave an imprint and that seems to be in my opinion why these locations are are haunted because these spirits want to tell their stories they're desperate to be heard so that's where we all come in and as a team see what we pick up on see what I'm tuning into and seeing if our equipment can verify that so it's pretty fascinating how it all works it's like putting together pieces of a puzzle
5: you know a lot of places we've been in you know we we walk out leaving and- Maybe tired because, you know, we're unloading equipment and loading up equipment and setting stuff up and walking up and down the stairs, moving around. Sometimes it gets a little hot in certain rooms. So, you know, we'll be a little bit, you know, tired at the end of the day, especially we did a lot of driving. But no joke, I mean, we've been in places before where we'll feel like our chest is hurting. We feel pressure or like like you are having a hard time breathing and stuff like that it's happened to melissa it's happened to myself and sometimes you feel like there's so much negative energy because somebody could have taken their life by suicide there could have been a murder at that place and because of that negativity that's there it just sucks the life out of you and sometimes we got to walk out of the room and i've had melissa and joshua asked me like are you okay are you okay you know so and then there's times when we were doing um we had Melissa um, wearing headphones and a blindfold, and we were doing the Chairs Warner um, spirit box session, asking questions to the spirit world through her. We had to stop recording and pull her off the equipment because we could tell that, you know, she was having a little bit of trouble breathing or mm. feeling some chest pain and things. And sometimes you just have to know how to read a person. And when enough, is it's time to pull you out of there, you know? Right. So, yeah, we ran into that sometimes. How about the
2: EVP element of it? Are you guys ever hearing voices and, 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 and speaking to you when you when you listen back?
3: Oh, absolutely. We've called so many EVPs over the years, I mean, from every location. We usually end up with at least two or three. And some of the most amazing ones that we captured at you know, different locations, one of the ones I really remember is a place called the Sanderson Museum in Chadsford, Pennsylvania. And the Sanderson Museum was actually – uh, small Christian Sanderson. He did a lot of violins, he square dances. Uh, he used to be friends with a lot of famous dignitaries, like Sitting Bull, the Indian, Helen Keller. Uh, so he used to collect all these letters, all these dignitaries. And what was amazing is we did two investigations there. The first one in December, 2020, this was before Melissa and Rick joined. That was our first ever investigation. And the night that we were in the violin room, the security camera was going off. So we took a, a photo we picked up a really defined color orb on top of our equipped batteries being drained on top of picturing up an EVP. And then when Melissa and Rick, we actually did the uh, world's largest ghost hunt there in 2021, September. And we actually pictured an EVP. It said, be afraid, be afraid. Wow! I mean, almost every single we've gotten so many um, EVPs. We got another one, another place in a, res- in a guy's apartment in Philadelphia that actually uh, said, uh, you know, right here, like a whisper. I've never heard anything like that. So EVPs are defined as electronic voice phenomena, which is our voices are hit on a digital recorder. They used to use tape recorders back in the early days of the EVPs. But now you can use digital recorders. You can use um, audio-enhancing software to try to really try to draw out the spirit voices and try to see what words and syllables you can understand. Right, Rick?
5: That's right. You know, and speaking of that place in Philly, it's, it's interesting how, Sometimes you can go into like a really small place, somebody's like little apartment, you know, with one bedroom and a bathroom. And there could be a lot of spirit activity and a lot of negative. In this particular case, this gentleman's place was, there was a suicide there that we found out through asking a lot of questions in the dowsing rod session and that sort of thing and determined that there was a young man that had committed suicide and took his own life. There was a lot of negative energy there to where the guy that was living there at the house, who's had physical experiences of being touched and the blankets being taken off of him and things like that, and activity that he's actually captured on video, some pretty creepy stuff. He was basically staying in a place that was just sucking the life out of him. I mean, it was making the guy sick until finally he got smart and got the heck out of there, you know. Sometimes, you know, you could be in a place with some positive energy from spirits that you're able to live with. that's like welcoming and it's okay. And then there's other times where it might call for like a home cleansing or even a priest to remove any kind of negative activity that no one's been able to get rid of. Let's talk about the
2: Sanderson Museum because now you're talking about some heavy object um, moving Uh, And a lot of very interesting experiences you guys had there. You want to start with that, Melissa?
4: Yes. So what was interesting, uh, the most interesting about that place, aside from the um, evidence that we caught, the EVPs that Joshua had mentioned, uh, the woman's voice. I remember one thing that she said that cracked me up. She did not like her equipment going off. And we captured her also saying, turn that off. Hmm. That was interesting. And but I would say the creepiest thing that happened that evening was all of our belongings being moved and barricading the staircase so we could not go down the steps. And again, Mm -hmm. me, I look for the logical explanation for everything before we deem that it's paranormal. Now, all of us, there were four of us. uh, There was another team member at the time, four of us on our team on the second floor investigating. Nobody was downstairs. That's where our belongings were. Uh, the museum, um, um, the mansion rather, was locked outside. Nobody could enter it. And Rick and I went to walk down the steps to get something. And all of our belongings, our hoodies, personal belongings, boxes of equipment, were moved and um, barricading the steps. There, We have no logical explanation to this day as to how or why that happened. And I thought, well, did somebody really come into this place and play a joke on us? But then we thought, now this mansion, um, museum, rather, it's off the beaten path. I mean, it, it isn't visible to the street. So there's that. And also, if some random person came in, we thought, well, they maybe they would go through our belongings. I mean, for the life of us today, we just we cannot figure out why. Why did something, who did it, what did it? barricaded us uh did not want us coming down the steps
5: Hmm. because why would some guy random guy down the street want to like be oh you know what i think i'm going to go in this place and i'm i'm going to move everything but i'm not going to steal anything i'm not going to go do inside people's stuff it just doesn't make any sense and i remember we were you know yelling out hey is there anybody here we didn't get any kind of answer and the people that opened up the place for us i mean they weren't there I mean, there wouldn't have been any reason for them to do that. And at first we were like asking around like, Hey, you know what? Did you guys go down? Maybe we missed something. Did you guys, did someone pull a prank or nothing? And they all said no. So, you know, and we knew it wasn't us. So we're like, well, what the heck is it? So it only left us with one conclusion that, and it makes sense because if spirits can move objects, throw things off the shelf and shut doors, Why couldn't they move a backpack with equipment in it? Why couldn't they move the other things?
3: And what was interesting also is that Melissa, like the minute that she entered the museum, she was also picking up on this older woman. Like she was mentioning like how someone was very sick. So I went and checked the history of the Sanderson Museum. And I found out that Christian Sanderson's mother, uh, Hannah had actually died in the museum from tuberculosis back in the 40s. So uh, for Melissa to pick up on that, it was, Amazing! So I definitely feel, uh, and most active area of this museum is also uh, the violin room. We also picked up several SLS camera images against a solid wall that we actually picked up a lot of stick figures on the violin. Right, Melissa?
4: Yes, definitely. And I honestly feel that the woman's voice that we captured that was telling us, you know, turn that off. And I know she had said another phrase that you had mentioned earlier. I do feel that that was, her name is Hannah. I do feel that that was Christian Sanderson's mother that I was tuning into. So again, it's always amazing how it all comes together in the end, what I'm tuning into and how it's it's verified.
5: But remember also, we had established that by asking questions, we had established that because we had asked one of the spirits, like, were you trying to harm us in any way? Is that why you did that? You want us to get hurt and trip? And we would ask questions with the dowsing rods and get a no answer. And we were asked, were you like trying to play like a trick on us? And we had got a, res- a yes response that, that it was like just trying to screw around with us. It was trying to be a jokester, you know, and so not really cause us any, any harm. But, you know, I mean, that was just like we haven't had anything even close to that that duplicated something like that since that happened.
2: As we start to wind down here, I mean, these are only three, you know, experiences and of, of the excursions that you had. Uh, is there any others that stand up as being the most creepy, the most haunted, the most unexplainable? Why don't you start with that, Josh?
3: I'm going to say uh, for me, like, there's so many cases that we've done over the years, but for me, uh, one of my earliest in place called the Mill of Anselma. The Mill of Anselma is an old uh, mill that dates back to 1747. So this old mill, it's like the oldest continuing operating mill in the entire United States. It's a National Historic Landmark. Um, me and my member were there in 2021. It was pretty amazing. The night that we were there, we aimed the DVR camera, or, you know, the, our security camera on this door. And mind you, this door is like is an old fashioned door from like the 1700s. It has a tiny latch. It lifts up like that. And we put this DVR camera on this door. And the door completely flew open by itself. I tried to look for um, any scientific explanation. I tried to debunk it. Um, there was no wind. There was no rain. There was nobody on the property that night. So for that door to fly open by itself, that was wild. Also, later on that night, when me and my team were investigating, we pictured up this rope swinging by itself on the second floor. And mind you, this is right by the Miller's office and was also interesting on the third floor session up there just asking you know uh questions and i got the word go go like on um, like a really loud defined go so for that to happen i definitely conclude that the mill of Anselma, this old mill it's up in chester springs right above downing very haunted what do you think melissa
4: so i know that we've had uh, many experiences at many at all these locations it's, it's very hard to narrow down but the one thing uh that fascinated me the most as far as me tuning into a spirit and the accuracy was um, uh, right before my very first investigation with the team. I was telling Joshua, now my very first investigation was at the Selma mansions, as I had mentioned earlier, and this is located in Norristown, Pennsylvania. And I said to Joshua, I'm tuning into a gentleman. I said, I'm getting visions of Abraham Lincoln. I said, and I don't know why, because what would Abraham Lincoln have to do with the Selma mansion? And I said, Joshua, maybe it's someone who lived there that resembled him. Because of that time period, maybe he had a similar look. And Joshua said, no. He says, you're accurate. I said, well, how can I possibly be accurate? What would Lincoln have to do with this this mansion? And he said, well, his wife, Mary Todd Lincoln's grandfather, owned that mansion. And his name is Andrew Porter. So Mm. my jaw dropped to the ground. I mean, I my mind was blown. And if ever there were times... That I doubted my abilities and questioned if is this just me? Is this is this my imagination? This is one of the one of the times where um, no, it's it's valid. What I'm tuning into is true, and I have to stop second guessing myself. Uh, so that that in itself was pretty fascinating. The gentleman's apartment, who we investigated, where we had a very negative experience. Of, as Rick had mentioned, I tuned into that there was a suicide, and it happened in the bedroom. Coincidentally, that is where the gentleman that lived in that apartment. That is where he experienced the most activity. And me walking into the bedroom there, I mean, it literally was enough to make you sick, feel physically sick. I had to get out of there. Wow! And I will say that for a week, me and uh, the other investigators all felt ill. And we're not talking about like yeah. with a cold ill. We're t- like we're talking. No energy, like something zapped the energy out of us. Every single one of us felt it.
5: Like the flu.
2: Yeah. I've had that happen before too, with some experiences where you just feel like you just got off a roller coaster and your insides Mm -hmm. have been shaken up. You're nauseous. You're queasy. It just doesn't feel right.
4: Exactly. So I would say that's probably um, the number one experience I've had where I've left a place and had not felt right. And it took me about a week to recover because of the negativity that was in that, that place.
5: How about you, Rick? Okay. So here's something really weird. So this one client that I interviewed over the phone, and this guy was this very straightforward, you know, family man with kids and everything. And he's living in this, you know, really nice house and all that. And he was experiencing negative activity in the home. And he told me like, whenever he would come home, He would get these thoughts of like suicide and things like that, feeling like he wanted to end his life. And based on what the kids had told him, the kids had experienced things in the home and have seen shadow figures in the basement. Whenever they walked in, they were saying the husband and wife would just feel this sick-like feeling and this really negative energy and this kind of thing. And I remember when we were down in the basement, we're doing an SLS session which stands for structured light sensor that uses Xbox technology and think of it like, well, you have like this laptop or a tablet and what it does is it uses the, um, the Xbox SLS. When you go around with the camera holding this thing, um, the idea is you want to put the camera against like a wall that doesn't have anything that would give false positives. Like you can't put it on a ceiling fan or, table lamp or a picture of somebody or somebody on a TV, anything like that, because it'll map it out as a dotted stick figure. So the weird thing was, so Melissa and I were starting this um, SLS session. Joshua was upstairs and something weird happened that we never seen before. And imagine it looked like almost like a pool of oil, like black oil, but it started like kind of bubbling up and it was like trying to form a person. Right. Then I remember, and we were getting it quite a big and I thought, well, you know, maybe is there something wrong with the camera or something like that? And that was like, you know, maybe this thing, something's wrong with this ready to go out. But then on another part of the wall, we actually picked up a stick figure on the same camera that didn't do that at all. Oh, wow. To me, when I looked at it, I felt this like horrible feeling like this black thing was just pure freaking evil, man. I mean, it, this was this ungodly, evil thing. We found out later on um, when we talked to the homeowner after we, you know, we did a, a cleansing with um, Sage and we anointed his doorways and windows with holy oil and that kind of thing to get rid of the negative energy. And he said to this very day that it's helped and its work. Then he had told us about the kids seeing these black shadow figures. Hmm. And I'll never forget when I was sitting in this chair, I could feel something pushing down on my chest. I felt like this horrible pressure and like I couldn't breathe. I felt a sickly feeling. I couldn't breathe. And I remember Joshua was, you know, saying in the name of Jesus, casting this thing off of me because it was probably something um, demonic in nature. And as soon as he said that, I could feel this thing come off of my chest. I didn't have the pressure anymore. I felt like I could breathe. So, you know, I definitely think that there was something um, demonic there in the house. Sure, of course. He would say that, and then all of a sudden I didn't, I wasn't feeling any pressure anymore. I don't think it was in my head, you know.
2: Obviously, there's a lot of interesting things going on here that you found. I'm sure there's a lot more that you can find. And I think it's great that you put this together and are doing this because, once again, there's a lot of unexplained things uh, in the world and in the other world for you guys to find. So I appreciate you guys being here today. The Phantom Detectives, amazing stuff.
4: Thank
3: you. It's been fun. Uh, in May of 2021, we purchased something very special. The other team has Dark Matter News. This was a part of Art Bell's final return ever. Midnight in the Desert. This was Leo Ashcraft's news service. Uh-huh. Of course, he, uh, um, you know, actually, we purchased the rights to Leo's brand, and it's all one word darkmatternews.com. So we keep it alive as like a tribute to art, basically. And I know Art's uh, kids and, you know, one of his two of his sons, actually, Vincent and Kevin, um, live right about an hour from, right from us in Philadelphia. <laughs> <laughs>
2: well,
5: that's great. Well, Joshua, you want to mention
3: our, our uh, three websites before we go? So we have uh, phantomdetectives.org that's all one word phantomdetectives.org, org. dark matter news, which is owned by us, Leo Ashcraft's old news service, all one word darkmatternews.com. and for our paranormal investigator courses, uh, we have, it's a patreon.com slash phantom detectives and Melissa and Rick, would you like to plug in your websites real quick?
4: Yes. So I do have a Facebook page where people can contact me if you know, they have any questions, um, want to learn about their own abilities, or even I, I do readings. So you can find me at Psychic Medium Autumn Melissa on Facebook. I also have my own website where I can be found at www.psychicmediumautumn.com.
5: Rick? So I have a website too, um, Extraterrestrial Research Center, ERC, that could be found at wwwercnumerical two explore.com. So E-R-C-2, the word explore.com.
2: Awesome, guys. Well, thank you so much. And we'll keep tabs on what you're doing. Appreciate it.
5: Have a nice day, Chris. Thank you very much.
4: Yes, great meeting you.